Our uh, scripture comes from John 20, 11 through 18. But actually, I'm going to start with verse 1 so we get the fuller picture. Um, so just listen, or you can pull up your Bibles. John 20, uh, 1 through 18. And I'm going to switch to the NIV here. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon and Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind them and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciples disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the front, at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He said, he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the amazing gift of your son and the sacrifice uh, of salvation uh, for the forgiveness of sins. Um, and we come to celebrate, um, but we also come as we are uh, with hearts, whether rejoicing or broken, uh, in need of healing, uh, in mourning, in celebration. Uh, we come as we are to meet with you, our living Savior, for you have risen, and this is good news. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So usually before I start a sermon, I say, God is good all the time. But today we got, got a little different thing going, so we'll be like, uh, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. No. <laughs> Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Amen. Amen. So um, sometimes I go fishing, or actually I haven't been fishing in, in a long time, but uh, as I pull up my, oh, I don't need it. Uh, um, sometimes I go fishing and I don't um, go fishing a lot, but uh, I was actually at Martha Lake, which is down the street on 164th, uh, fishing one summer, and I got to see, which is one of the most magnificent creatures um, in North America around us, a bald eagle, like with a huge wingspan. And the bald eagle was just circling, 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 and it swooped down into the water with its talons stretched out. And I, I felt like I could see every detail, its sharp talons stretched out into the water and psh, just catch a trout, which, a, a fish that was in the lake. And I, meanwhile, I'm with my fishing pole. I've been there for a couple hours without a single bite. I'm like, oh, clearly, clearly evolution has <laughs> been better for the eagle than me catching this fish, right? And so, uh, amen. But, but the thing that makes the eagle such an amazing hunter is that it's eyesight, for one. Like, how do you see a fish from like 100 feet in the air in the depths of the water? I don't know. Its eyes are different than human eyes. It can see into the dark shadows of the water. But also, the timing that's involved. You know, we, we see professional athletes who can throw uh, a ball 100 miles per hour into a catcher's glove. We see a quarterback who can throw a football to someone who's sprinting on the move right in, right in the numbers, right? And we say, wow, that's amazing hand-eye coordination. Wow, that's amazing timing. But the eagle, to be able to swoop down from the point where it saw the fish, and this, the trout is probably moving around pretty swiftly, right? And to dive in and grab that trout in the middle of the water, that takes timing, right? The eagle is not just remembering where the trout is in, an, in, in one instance, but it's calculating where the trout will be in the future when it hits that, when its talons hit the water, right? It's real time, right? Zero in, zero in, right? The eagle is zeroing in. And I think sometimes when we think about Jesus, when we think about the cross, we're stuck on the cross, amen? Like, I often wonder, why is the cross the symbol of Christianity? Why is the cross the symbol of Christianity? Because the good news isn't that Jesus died, right? That's not the good news. The good news is that Jesus, what? He suffered, he died, and he what? He rose again. The tomb was empty. There was no one there. Why are you crying, Mary? Christ has risen. He has risen indeed. And sometimes we're like a non-eagle looking at a dead trout saying, oh, I can pick that trout up because it's dead. It's not moving. But Jesus is moving. 
He's moved from the cross, so I wonder I'm going to make you know, a social media campaign to make the empty tomb the new symbol for Christianity. We're going to go around not with cross necklaces, but we're going to have empty tomb necklaces. Amen? Doesn't that make sense? Christ is alive. He's living. And that's the good news. The good news is, as plants fall down, the good news is that Christ is living and that because of this, we know that death has been defeated. We know that we have a hope that there's someone that we lean into, that we believe in, that we trust, that has defeated death and that is stronger than any disease or malady or crisis or struggle that you may be going through. Amen? He's living real time. And that's what I see in this passage, real time interaction with the living Christ. Let's... Let's, let's go look into the scripture. First of all, Mary comes in the morning. And it's the time, it says, John points out that it's still dark. So it's really, really early in the morning. It's still dark. And actually, Mary Magdalene, if you go through the four gospels, she's the only person to be both at the foot of the cross at Jesus' death and at the tomb at his resurrection. Mary Magdalene, right? At the death and at the tomb, only person. Um, she's also the only person to come, right? John says she comes in the darkness, in darkness. And so in, in John, there's this motif of darkness and light, darkness of light, right? We, we're reminded of Nicodemus in John 3, who comes in the shadow of night uh, to address Jesus. And so... This, this night and darkness being death and light being life. John is playing with images of light and darkness, death and life. And so this is highlighted here at the resurrection story. Um, so she comes and she sees that the tomb, that stone is rolled away. And Mary, Mary Magdalene, we don't know much about her. We don't know much about her. We do know that she was at the cross. We do know that she was here at the tomb, that her desire was to take care of Jesus' body, right? After death, you know, a lot of things happen, right? Families come together. There are memorial services. There are funerals. And there's a lot of details uh, that need to be taken care of. And there are family members or loved ones who step up to care for uh, the person who's passed to take care of certain details. And Mary Magdalene is there when others have scattered, right? We're reminded of Peter's denials, right? People are like, oh, you follow, I remember you. You were with Jesus' posse. You were in Jesus' clan. And he was like, no, no, no. And we remember the, the story. Jesus had predicted that Peter would deny him three times before the cock crowed, and it happened. He denied Jesus three times, and the rooster crowed, and he wept, right? We know the disciples scattered uh, because Jesus was was crucified. But here was Mary Magdalene who wanted to care for and ensure that 
you know, everything that was needed to embalm, to prepare the body for preservation would happen. And we know that Friday, Friday night when Jesus died, Friday was probably too late to do anything. The next day was the Sabbath, right, Saturday. So nothing, no work could be done. So this is why Mary Magdalene is coming in the very, very early in, early in the morning. She's probably thought about it over the weekend all night in her bed, like worrying. Jesus' body is just laying in the tomb, and no one's done anything to it. No one's blessed it. No one's embalmed it. No one's put herbs. And this is what Mary Magdalene has done because she loves Jesus. She loved Jesus. The other thing we know about Mary Magdalene is that Jesus cast out, I think it was seven demons or nine demons from her, right? And so she was freed. Whatever those demons represented, Jesus came and freed her and saved her and delivered her, and she was made free. I don't know if there's a time in your life where you felt oppressed or you felt you needed healing or you felt a heaviness on your shoulders or on your heart, but you prayed or others prayed for you, and Jesus lifted that darkness, lifted that burden from you like a miracle, and how free and how happy and how joyful you felt to know that the living God had delivered you, amen? Have you experienced any of that in your life? So Mary Magdalene, was one of the followers, right? You know the 12 disciples, they get all the attention in scripture, but there's also followers around Jesus, you know, out of her own pocket, she's supporting them, right? They're itinerant missionaries, they're itinerant ministers, and she's helping them to be fed, she's helping them get shelter um, out of her own, her own money, and she's following Jesus, and we see this woman at the cross, we see this woman at Jesus' death mourning and weeping. She's grieving, right? And so you can imagine when she comes early in the morning in the darkness and the stone is rolled away, her reaction is, oh my gosh, where is my Savior? Where is he? Someone must have come and stolen him away. I'm going to go tell the disciples. And she runs, runs, runs to tell the disciples. And Peter and John, right, John doesn't name himself. He's really humble. He's like the disciple that Jesus loved. Peter and the disciple that Jesus loved, right, it's kind of some false humility there. Um, and they're like, oh, my gosh, what? And they run, and in fact, they have a race, you know? And leave it to two men, Peter being like, like myself, maybe. I imagine him like middle age in his 40s, right? And John, the disciple that Jesus loved, was like a young buck, 20 years old. And John, again, being humble, said, they raced to the tomb. The disciple that Jesus loved got there first, right? Like, did they have a bet going on where they like, I bet I can beat you in a race. I'm going to get there first, and I'm going to be the first one to see an empty tomb. They're like, no, I'm going to be the first. And so they ran, and on the way, Peter, like, pulls his hamstring, and he's like, ah! 
And John, the disciple that Jesus loved, gets to the tomb first, but it says he doesn't go in. He doesn't go in. And Peter <laughs> comes and uh, it says goes right into the tomb. And that fits with Peter's personality, right? Here is a disciple who Jesus is walking on water. All the disciples are afraid in a storm. And Peter's like, I want to go walk on water. And he jumps on the water, right? Here's the disciple who, you know, Jesus is like, Washing his the disciples' feet. And Peter's like, no, you will not wash my feet. And Jesus like, then you have nothing to do with me. You need me to wash your feet. And Peter, being all out and all in, says, then wash my whole body. Right? Peter likes to just jump fully in. So while John stops at the entrance of the tomb, Peter rushes all the way in. And they see uh, the linens there folded up but no body, and it says Peter, it says they believed, and John believed. But an interesting note is, but they didn't fully understand what the scripture said, that Jesus had to die in order to save the world. So what did they believe in, right? Did they believe in his words that he was going to resurrect, but... It, this resurrection, they probably assume like, oh, Jesus went to heaven, right? He's alive, he went to heaven, but we're not going to see him any longer, right? And so they believed. Or, you know, what did they believe? And what part of scripture did they not yet understand? Did they not under, yet understand that Jesus' body, his physical human body would actually resurrect and he would walk among them living, right, be able to touch. And I think this is what Mary gets to see, right? Because whatever it is for the men, Peter and John, whatever it is, maybe John is just racing Peter to prove that he can beat a middle-aged guy to the tomb and be the first one to see the empty tomb. Right? Maybe they ran into the tomb and Peter was like, John beat me, but I'm going in. Right? I'm going in to actually see, see it. But something is satisfied in their minds because they go back to where they were staying. Right? And it says they believed, but they went back to where they are staying. So maybe some kind of intellectual or logical truth was confirmed for them. Oh, Jesus had talked about being raised from the dead, so he's gone now, it happened, right? Let's go back, we're satisfied, we believe. But when we grieve, right? When we suffer, when we lose someone, it doesn't, it's not just about our minds, right? We don't just go like, oh, he's, he's alive again, let's go back. And that's what we get with Mary. That Jesus in his resurrection wants that closure, right? Wants to connect with Mary Magdalene in that deeply relational way, right? In the real time, real present way, just as an eagle, right? Doesn't think about the fish where it was, where it is, 
but attacks that fish where it will be in motion. Jesus is the living Jesus in motion that deals with his people, his friends, his daughters and sons while we are in motion, right? While we're walking the path of life, while we're struggling, while we're crying out, where are you, God? You're not here where I thought you were going to be. And I'm mourning and I'm grieving and I need you and you're not here. This is what Mary is feeling. Are you with me? Where are you? Mary doesn't worry about racing to the tomb with the disciples. First of all, she probably had to run to the disciples in the first place to get them to come to the tomb. So she's tired. <laughs> she's like, I ran a marathon already. I'm not running, racing you guys. But, but secondly, she already saw the empty tomb, but her questions remain, right? I still need good news. I still miss Jesus. So she returns to the tomb, and she sees, you know, the figures in white. Uh, she sees who she thinks is the gardener, and she assumes the gardener must have been the person who took Jesus' body. And she says, sir, if you've taken the body, tell me where it is so I can go and bring that body, right, back. She's not thinking about who's going to go help her, right, who's going to carry the body with her. All, she's just single-mindedly focused about caring for the body of Jesus and returning Jesus so that he could be honored, so that he could be laid to rest. She's like, tell me where it is, and I will, like, fireman carries Jesus' body back, and I'll do this. That's the only thing I want to do. Are you with me, church? And then she turns, um, the, the uh, two angels in white, when they were there, they ask her, woman, why are you crying? Why are you crying? They have taken the Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Again, repetitive, a second time. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Why are you crying? Why are you crying? Praise God that we have that God is a God, that Jesus is a God that loves us for who we are and is aware of every tear that has dropped from your eyes, everything that you've struggled with. I, I imagine this question, why are you crying? Not like, why are you crying, right? But more like, why are you crying? I'm interested in what you're feeling. I'm interested in what you're, is in your heart. I remember 
you know, when our kids were smaller, when Isaiah was smaller, oh, I'm not supposed to share without asking him. When one of our children was a baby, <laughs> uh, you know, they were talking about, you know, parent, what is it, demand feeding or parent-directed feeding, right? And, there, you know, all the, there's all, was all this research out there. And so we're trying to do, like, parent-directed feeding, which is, like, even if they're crying, we're not going to feed them. We're gonna, they're going to be on our schedule, and we'll feed them on a schedule. So ultimately, they will, you know, rest, sleep through the night. So we can sleep, right? And then it's like, which is like, it makes sense in your mind, but in application, when that baby is crying, wah, 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 you're like, man, your heart breaks. You're like, I'm abusing my child. Like, I need to feed this child that urge in you. You know, but I was cold-blooded, right? I'm, I'm not going to feed them. It was like a test of wills, right? And I think this is why my kids and I still stubbornly fight to this day. No, you move. No, you move, right? This test of wills. I'm not going to feed you. Well, then I'm going to cry all night. Still, you're going to eat when I tell you to eat, right? So this back and forth. But still, that, there's that peace in a parent's heart, in my heart, that is like, Oh, when my child cries, something breaks in me, right? Something wants to stop that crying or take care, hold, embrace. Are you with me, parents in the house? And so I see this as Jesus' question to Mary. Why are you crying? I'm here. Why are you crying? Let me wipe the tears away from your eyes. Why are you crying? I have risen again, right? In other, other passages you, about the resurrection, you, you see the, the, the angels say, why do you look for the living among the dead? Why are you targeting, holding on to that dead fish where it was? Why are you lingering in the empty tomb? Why are you holding on to that which has no life, right? Look forward. Look forward to where Jesus is alive and moving and going. I'm here with you. Let go of yesterday. Let go of the things that are dead. Yes, we grieve, right? We grieve the things that we have lost. Raise your hand if in the last three years you've lost something of the way of the past or the way things were or a person or your health or maybe you're going through something right now that no one, you seems like no one understands, right? We've all lost something. You know, and the big elephant is COVID, right? We all lost something, right? Churches, have lost things the way they did things, right? Churches lost people. Church, some churches closed over COVID. And we look and we hold on to the sickness. We hold on to our maladies. And things haven't closed for us. 
And Jesus is saying, why are you crying? I care about you. It's not simply running the race like Peter and John, being good Christians. I'm going to do this Bible quiz. I'm going to do all my good acts as fast as I can and climb the ladder of Christianity. Or, you know, I'm going to intellectually understand the Bible. I'm gonna, I know all the precepts. I've studied the Bible, right? I know he was supposed to rise from the dead. I've studied every inch of that tomb. And look, the linens were folded, right? How come they were folded? Oh, I don't know. Right? And we, we seek, we seek, we seek. But that's not the end of the story. The fullness of the story is that Jesus is alive, wanting to meet with us relationally, wanting to meet Mary where she's at relationally, actually touch and speak comfort that they can see face to face, right? Do not hold on to me right now. Do not hold on to me. Go and tell. Go. I'm moving forward, right? This is the most important moment in human history since the creation of the world that God came as a human being and died, right? But has risen again, and I'm on the move. I'm on the move to take all the dead and dying things in the world, people, creation, systems, governments, nations. I want to lift those things. I want to recreate those things. I'm about the renewal of all creation. Everything in the universe is bending towards renewal. Do you believe that, church? Right? And a lot of times we turn on the news and we're like, but everything is broken. Everything is about death. Everything is about war. Everything is about bad, bad, bad. Why do the bad people win? Why are people constantly oppressed? Right? Why does this happen? And yet, Jesus is at work moving with a sharp eye towards the future, saying, I am making all things new. Do you believe that? Why are you crying? Stop holding on to me and go and tell, right? Jesus meets the woman in her pain deeply, connects with her, says, I'm here, I'm alive, and then purpose, right? Go and tell. And we see this pattern in John, right? Remember John 4, the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well, right? The woman meets Jesus at the well. That interaction shouldn't happen. She's, she's got a lot of drama in her life. Jesus speaks with her, addresses the drama directly, but then says, you know, someone's coming, the Messiah is coming, and pretty soon people are going to worship in what? Spirit and truth, right? It's not about the place. It's not about where the temple is. It's not about some sort of structure. It's not about you say it this way or that way. It's about 
people are going to worship in spirit and truth. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter if you're a man or woman. It doesn't matter if you've sinned or living a sinful life. Truth, come as you are. And then what it says? It says the woman left her jar, the very reason that she was there, and went into the town, a woman who's kind of ostracized, living in shame, went into the town and said, come and see. This man is Messiah. He told me everything about myself. And the people all ran and there was a harvest. There's the same movement here with Mary Magdalene, right? Don't hold on to me any longer. I'm alive. I've risen. I've risen indeed. Now go tell. Amen. Go tell. What is the response of good things happening to us? Right? We know how children respond. Right? Downstairs, the Easter egg hunt. When you open that egg, right? And there's candy. All the parents are like, no, candy. All the kids are like, candy. Right? And, and they outwardly express, right, the inner joy from the gift. And it's the same with us. Those of us who have received forgiveness, those of us who have received healing, those of us who have received grace, those of us who have received the good news of the gospel, we cannot help but be like, Yay! There's candy in my life. Amen. Go and tell. And that's the response. Jesus saying, they that have been loved much, right? They that have been forgiven much, love much. And those that love much are forgiven much. There's this natural response to good news and transformation. The question is, Will you open your heart to the living Jesus? Not the Jesus that's just told about and etched into stone, but the living Jesus that's calling your name. What heals Mary? Jesus calling her name. Mary. Mary. Isaiah. Ephraim. Stephen. Now everyone's like, are you going to say my name? <laughs> I'll say uh, William Buford. Um, faith is about open-heartedness, right? Are you willing to be vulnerable before the Lord Jesus? Are we willing to lay aside your competence or your need to be put together or the perfectionism to be like, Jesus, I need you. Open-hearted, wholehearted vulnerability. Jesus is calling your name personally and saying, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. If there are people in this room who, you know, you may be like, I haven't been to church for years, right? Or I haven't felt God's presence in my life at all for a long, long time. I, t I pray, but it's just 
empty and flat. I can't hear them. Or I just can't come to church because there's too much corruption in church, right? Too much pain and drama, too many leaders who abuse their power, um, too much politics in the church. I don't know. The church is just messed up, and it's hard for me to be with Jesus. Or you're like, you know, I'm, I'm not living the Christian life. Right? I'm kind of like, I don't know, I got to clean up before I go to church, right? Maybe later when I've, you know, gotten rid of this part of my life and this part of my life, then, you know, I'll come to Jesus. Maybe you're feeling that. Or maybe you've had an unanswered prayer. You've had an illness or a pain in your actual physical body that there has been no relief. Jesus has not done anything. Jesus is not alive to you. Or maybe there's a crisis or issue that no one seems to understand and you're holding it alone. The witness of scripture, the witness of all the disciples, the witness of Mary Magdalene, and our witness here today is that he is risen. He is risen indeed and he's calling your name and says, why are you crying? Like, don't worry, just come to me and let me hold you and touch you and send you as a new person. Are you ready to receive that? Let's pray. God, thank you for new life. Thank you for the good news of Easter that um, every Sunday when we come to worship and praise you is Easter. It's the first day of the week and we are reminded that you are alive and working in the world and working in our hearts and working in our families, working in our neighborhoods, working in our towns and cities and our governments, that you are working. And even when we feel like you're silent or your body is not there, I cannot feel you tangibly in my life or why is this pain going on? Why does injustice happen in the world and you don't seem to do anything about it? We turn our eyes to you and we say, Jesus, come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, living Jesus, and remind us. Come into our hearts and remind us that you are living that you care about us, that you see us, that you're here with us walking. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.